Hi, this is Carl. We're excited to announce Microsoft's newest developer service called Azure Pipelines, a fully managed CI-CD platform for any app, language, or cloud. Azure Pipelines is integrated with GitHub through their CI Marketplace and free for open source projects with 10 concurrent jobs and unlimited build minutes for their cloud-hosted Linux, Mac OS, and Windows agents. Learn all the details by visiting azure.com pipelines. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're trying out a, a new system for recording our podcast today. We'll talk about that on the next show if it's actually successful. But uh, how are you doing, Richard? I am well, sir. Uh, you know, we just saw on the news today a big event because a black bear was seen on the streets of Ottawa, which is the capital city back east. Huh. And they literally rolled out the fire department and the police, and it was tranquilized to transport it off. It was like huge oh, traumas. Oh. I had a mom and two cubs on my stair yesterday. Yeah. And you, and they just went on their way. You know, it's just not, I mean, granted, I have a video clip of it because, you know, they the little, one of the little bears stood up on his hind leg and said, I'm a people, I'm a people, I can be a people. <laughs> but but it's just, cute. it's very funny, you know. When you live with bears all the time, you're just not that excited about it. Right. And But apparently it was a big deal in Ottawa. Oh, well. That's cool, though. I like it. I mean, it's not cool that the bears are sort of being forced out of their habitat and coming into cities and stuff. I'm, but, you know, it's kind of sad. But it's neat to see them. Well, I mean, we're in a situation here where the bears are so populous, they're doing so well hmm. that they're packed too close together. Like it's it's a problem because they are living well with us. Okay, but uh, you know they they do very well food wise. You know there's always too much garbage around. It is an interesting challenge. But we have deer and turkeys back here. That's our wildlife. Yep. You know, and you know how much of a plague deer can be. They really are. Yeah, they are a plague. Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you the story about my mother, but she feeds them corn on yes. her property. I don't know if I've told the story on the show. But my mother basically has been f corn feeding wild deer and turkeys, you know, 50 pound bags of corn. You know, nominally, those are no longer wild. That That's true. And yeah. I, I know in Maine, it's not illegal to feed the wildlife. It's illegal to stop feeding them. We don't. <laughs> it's true. We don't have laws like that in Connecticut, but maybe we should. I don't know. But I don't know. That, that sort of puts me on the hook to continue feeding them for the rest of my life. But anyway, nice. can you imagine, uh, you know, so this has been going on for 20 years. So there are generations of wild turkeys that have been eating corn every day. They must be delicious. Yeah, no kidding. I, th I think <laughs> we have a solution to that. You can't stop feeding them thing. What if we just eat them? I, I love that idea. However, they're her pets. She doesn't, she doesn't let people hunt them. That uh, takes all the fun out of it. I know, really. All right, let's uh, roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Uh, this one came from the guys at App Next. It's called yep. Bogus. Bogus? Install dash package bogus. Bogus for .NET, C Sharp, F Sharp, and VBNet, basically common language runtime languages. And um, he says, hello, I'm your host, Brian Chavez. Bogus is a simple, insane, fake data generator for .NET languages like C Sharp, F Sharp, and VBNet. Bogus is fundamentally a C Sharp port of faker.js and inspired by Fluent Validation's syntax sugar. Nice. So Bogus will help you load databases, UI, and apps with fake data for your testing needs. It's pretty cool. And there are some projects that use it. Elasticsearch.net client. Wow. Microsoft Windows XAML template 10. Uh, Microsoft Learning Developing Azure Solutions, Microsoft Office Dev, Microsoft Teams Sample Connector, and uh, a whole bunch of people going nuts over this. So, bogus. Know it, learn to love it. Nice. Who's talking to us, buddy? Uh, I grabbed a comment off of show 1324. That's from July of 2016. We were talking to Jimmy Ingstrom while we were in Oslo at NDC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jimmy's one of those guys who gets around in the different technologies. In this particular show was about all join. So this was a Qualcomm specification with the Linux Foundation to try and create a common languages for IoT devices to communicate. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, admittedly, in the intervening couple of years, it's sort of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. It's just one of those protocols, like many, that is just not taken off. And I think the comment here, which again is also two years old, is super relevant because it's interesting to see where these various projects had gone. So Brandon Paget said, uh, Google has several different sorts of projects in this area. One is called Brillo, which is an embedded platform for IoT. Now, today, if you go to that link, it's called Android Things. Hmm. Right. So they just sort of, you know, names change stuff. These used to be all developer Google sites, but now it's something completely different. Another is called Weave, which is a communication platform with security baked in. And when you go to that link for developers at Google, you actually go to nest.com, which is owned by Google. Uh, it's still called Weave, but it's particularly for uh, connecting together home-based IoT-type devices, keypads, the Nest thermostats, security systems, that kind of thing. But very much focused on the Nest stack, which is not a bad thing. And finally, Google has also started a project called Thread. Thread has a large number of members, and Qualcomm is one of them. I believe the idea is that all join would be able to work on top of Thread. And gave the link to the threadgroup.org, which is still the threadgroup.org. So Hmm. this is another networking protocol, expanding connectivity between different devices, both commercial, residential, and so forth. So. You know, I'm, I'm glad we're t- talking further about IoT and getting deeper into the stacks on all of these things. But it's just a realization that we're, we're all still groping around. Like, for better or worse, that all-join story hasn't gone very far. But there's a bunch of other projects. And I'll include links to everything that Brandon mentioned here because it is okay. pretty cool stuff. And, Great. Uh, yeah, we're definitely working from a moving target. That's awesome. So, Brandon, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .net rocks.com or via any of our social media. So we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We pass them on to Bogus, who uses them as random value generator seeds. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You, too, could be a randomly generated address from Nebraska. That's right. You'll show up in somebody's database somewhere. Uh, let's bring back to .NET Rocks one Suze Hinton. Uh, she is a JavaScript developer who likes to tinker with hardware, a maker at heart. She's no stranger to minor burns from soldering irons and 3D printers, and she's a regular contributor to the open-source Node.js electronics scene and enjoys teaching others how to immerse themselves in the nerdiverse. Welcome back, Suze. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited. You still have your shoes? <laughs> yes, I do. And I have a funny story to tell you about this. Um, okay. I think the last time I spoke to you all, I think there was like a book coming out with like instructions on how to make these shoes. Right. Um, and the book came out and I didn't really hear if anyone made the shoes. And then my best friend's dad went to make a fair in Japan and that's where he lives. He went to make a fair Tokyo and there was this one booth set up with meow shoes and right next to it was a screen that was just endlessly looping all of my YouTube videos. <laughs> oh my <laughs> <Nice>. goodness. <laughs> and it just blew my mind. Like he took a photo of it. He tweeted it at me. Um, and I was just like, someone actually did it, but also why are they playing my YouTube videos? That's super weird, but very <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> but at least that's, you know, accreditation, right? They weren't claiming the shoes as their own. Yeah, it was really exciting. It was awesome. Here's the amazing person who made them. Yeah. Those shoes are five years old. I'm I'm looking at the at the GitHub site. Hmm. Yeah, they're really old. It's like some pretty bad JavaScript too. Maybe before this goes (laughs) live, I'll go and fix it. (laughs) I can't imagine anybody being proud of any code they wrote five years ago. Yeah, I'm totally gonna look at it after this and and it's gonna give me that sort of ooh, look how far I've come sort of feeling, but also yes. deep deep seated feeling of shame. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanna know what joke we're sort of in on here, we're talking about um Suze's last show with us, which was her first, which was eleven oh six from February thirteenth, twenty fifteen, called Building IoT Devices with Suze Hinton, where she talked about her meow shoes. Just wanna give people the reference there. Of course. So, what are you up to lately? Uh, I now work at Microsoft, which is really exciting. Wow. Wow, indeed. Yeah. You are a cloud developer advocate? 
That's correct. So I am focused on IoT, so nothing much has changed there. It's just I've, I've pulled my hobby into my professional life now, which is pretty exciting for me to be able to do. And so that keeps me pretty busy. But on the side, I'm still doing IoT things right now. Um, I just moved apartments, so I'm trying to make a humorous smart house. Um, and I'm sort of oh, in the neat. middle of that. Yeah. How, how into smart house automation are you? Do you do you go all out, uh, light switches, the the whole thing? So I like the idea of all of that, but I don't like the idea of every single contraption being on a different API and a different provider and things like that and having to then find a service to unify them all, you know, such Mm. as Alexa or something like that. Um, and, And so I'm trying to sort of roll my own, not because it's the smart or time efficient thing to do, um, yeah. but because it just means that, you know, I'm only going to add the things that I really want to. And it also means that I'm going to learn a lot along the way. And I can also just do things exactly how I see that they should be, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. Oh, you said a humorous smart house. Does that mean, you know, you step on a uh, a s- something and it triggers like a, a whoopee cushion sounds. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what that <laughs> Directly means. Directly to fart jokes. Okay. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's, it's similar to that. So last night I was testing out a tap sensor that I'm going to sort of sew into uh, like a, I have this life-size raccoon plush. And if you tap, if you tap it on the head, it will turn the lights on in the room. So it's sort of like hidden IoT, if that makes sense. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I like so they that. don't look like devices that should control things, but everything you touch interacts with something else. Yeah, I just wanted it to be whimsical. Right. Yeah, you could go one step further and make everything a practical joke, right? So, you know, if you some people have a smart house to impress their friends, you want to make them never want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want I want to delight them. So there will be lots of little things like that. And I don't want to spoil it um, because I sort of want to make sure that everything is achievable. But okay. yeah, last night I was testing out the thresholds of the tap sensor to figure out like, okay, so, you know, can I put it a, as like a collar around the raccoon's neck or should I just sew it directly into, you know, just underneath the fur so that you can just tap mm. it straight on the head. So that was sort of what I was figuring out last night when I got home from work. That's pretty cool. I'd put something in the guest room that was that would play something like Sally. <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> Great, terrifying people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So we're we're talking Node and IoT today. You must have some really interesting projects you've been working on there with Node. Yeah, so that has been taking up a lot of my time, and I am actually implementing that smart house in Node.js. And so ah. I'm either going to deploy that to a Raspberry Pi and be running um, like a Node.js um, server and a Node.js um, IoT Edge runtime, or I might also see if I can run it from a Tessel, which is a microcontroller that's not quite as beefy as a Raspberry Pi, but it's designed for the Node IoT ecosystem specifically. So it's actually right. a real joy to work with. You know, its its deployment strategy is actually like really much more convenient than for a Raspberry Pi. They're quite a bit smaller too, aren't they? Like just a just really kind of a little square block. Yeah, they're a lot smaller, and they also have a built-in ADC, which is like an analog-to-digital converter. So you sort of can't really use a lot of analog servers, uh, sensors, sorry, out of the box um, with a Raspberry Pi because it doesn't yeah. have any analog um, inputs, and so you have to use like an ADC with it, or you know you have to have a sensor breakout that speaks I2C or so, oh, sorry I squared C or something like that. Which is pretty much the default thing you do every time. I was just playing with a Beagle Bone. Mm-hmm. And same thing, directly to I2C, like that is the device, that is the protocol seems you want to use. Yeah, pretty much. There are a ton of like SparkPhone and Adafruit sensors that have been broken out to I2C specifically for BeagleBones and um, Raspberry Pis for sure. It's very convenient. Nice. And, and it looks like inexpensive too. I've not played yeah. with the Tesla too, but they're little. Yeah, it does look cool. Everything's from SparkFun. it's pretty good um and it it, because it open it runs um at the moment the operating system is open wrt it means that you can also have like a wireless access point running from it so it could be like a little server within your house too and it can serve things like games or um web pages or something like that and so i think it's kind of wrt like the wrt 54g the old the old linksys router Yes. Mm-hmm. Now it lives in an IoT device. Like that, that OS is never going away. It's amazing. 
Yeah, isn't that cool? I thought it was awesome. So like you can actually, you know, set up some very similar things that you would set up on your router, but you can do it with like some inputs and outputs for IoT as well, which I think is really, really cool as a combination. And you work from Wi-Fi, like that's the way to communicate with this thing is it's on the Wi-Fi. Yeah. So the idea is once you've provisioned it with Wi-Fi, you can actually deploy over the air to it, which is really cool. And then you can also connect to it as a wireless access point, like you said, and and have your networking through that. So it looks like there's quite a few modules for it and uh, 10-pin USB and community-created modules. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, because we were talking a lot about IoT in, you know, a few years ago, and then it just sort of, I don't know, wasn't cool anymore. And I'm looking for, like, some of the cooler sensors that, uh, you know, everybody knows what accelerometers are and, you know, SD cards and motion detectors and color sensors, and those things are pretty pretty cool but what are some things that are fairly new sensor wise that that people might be interested in i think some of the things that people are really excited about now is being able to plug in a device that essentially can crunch like uh machine learning models and things for you so it's Hmm. off it's off the device so the device doesn't have to be super powerful but at the same time you can be you can be using like a a webcam or something like that with a low powered device and you can be streaming that data to like a USB connected module that's crunching that, you know, custom vision model that you've mm. installed or something like that. I think that's probably where we're seeing some of the more exciting things outside of just your basic sensors. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, there's so many services that you can connect to in the cloud. Yeah, that that really has grown up since we last talked about IoT on the show. So you're programming everything in JavaScript. How do you get to a machine learning model from JavaScript? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we do have things like um, TensorFlow.js now, which is really cool. So you can actually mm. run things in that. Um, and you can also just store your model in the cloud and you can be streaming data to, you know, an offsite endpoint, again, similar to doing it with an offsite module. And you can be getting your answers from there as well. And so, you know, JavaScript is incredibly good at calling APIs because that's what you're doing a lot of the time in the browser. And so there are a few options. And I know that with the introduction of WebAssembly, we're actually seeing better and better performance when it comes to running things that that are pretty CPU intensive. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering how long before we see little boards like Tessels with uh, with a shield that's actually a, a big old GPU on it that you just yes. offload the work to the GPU, even still on the unit. Well, that's interesting. So you don't need that hardcore of a GPU to be doing some of these computational models. And it's just so much better at it. Yeah, exactly. Well, these things are generally powered by USB, right? And, you know, last time I checked, GPUs required a lot of electricity. Yeah, you can actually plug in external power sources. I know that even with things like um, motors, you can brown out a Raspberry Pi very quickly by attaching too many motors. So people are usually used to having a supply, like a double power supply for whatever they're running. Um, Even some boards do better with like more than just, you know, 1.5 amps anyway. Yeah, I I ran into that with that beagle bone. When you want to burn the EMMC, you need two amps. Yes. And if you don't have to, you know, we were running a one amp and everything ran fine until you tried to update the EMMC and then it just just stalled like, nope. Yeah, this happened to me on the Raspberry Pi just a week ago. I was running Windows IoT Core on it, which allows you to do .NET and IoT, which I'm also happy to talk about with you. And yeah. um, what what happened was it was booting up perfectly, and my UWP app that I deployed to it would start up, but then all of a sudden um, I lost network connectivity. You know, the Ethernet lights, you know, on my port would would go dark. And, and I was like, what is happening? Like, is it a firewall issue? Is it just like my the bridged connection I created with my computer is out? Like, what is happening? And it took me two days to pinpoint that it wasn't a full blackout or brownout. It was just that it would stop trying to prioritize certain peripherals when it didn't have enough current to draw. And the problem was I was powering it from the US, the, I was powering the Raspberry Pi from the USB port of my laptop. Right. 
And mm-hmm. as soon as I plugged it into like a wall charger instead, all of a sudden the network came back and a bunch of my other, like my webcam came back and it was the most face power moment for me because when you're sort of in that slightly gray area in between, you know, enough power and completely underpowered, it is so frustrating to debug. <laughs> and right. it doesn't generate good error messages. It just stuff doesn't work and the errors you get are vague. They're just like, what's that got to do with anything? Exactly. <laughs> it's completely vague. Absolutely. And Sue, sorry to interrupt you, but I've got a break just for a moment for this very important message. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers for some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core 3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code .netrocks to get a discount. And we're back. Richard Campbell, Carl Franklin. It's .NET Rocks. And we're yeah. talking to Suze Hinton about a little node, a little IoT, a little Tesla board, and just how important power is in these scenarios. USB is terrible. I was just mm-hmm. about to say that because the, the, the problem is these wall adapters, they all have different outputs and yeah. different things require different amounts of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many times have you seen something like the, the iPhone charger doesn't have enough power? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then you, you get those ones that have two different USB ports, and it's just so clumsily labeled. Like, one will say iPhone, and the other one will say iPod, because, you know, the iPod has much more current draw to charge. And it's right. like, why can't you just make it the maximum? Because devices are only right. going to draw the current that they actually need. And so, exactly. there's nothing... I guess it comes down to money and budget and things like that. Yeah, but, but we're talking about USB plugs. Like, they're 20... I like Anchor. You know, I may spend forty dollars on a on a four wave USB port, but every one of those buggers is two amps. Like you just you stop having problems. I literally just bought five of those for my smart home. Yes, and it, they're no actually kidding. the anchor ones. Yeah, they're just powered yeah. up in my study right now. Are you talking they're about the, the batteries, the battery chargers? No, they they also just make wall chargers. They make all they make premium uh, USB gear. Period. Well, I found that the anchor, you know, power bricks that I talked about on the show, these big ones. Um, those things require the right USB charger. Otherwise, they sort of blow up on you. They stop working. And it's not very clear how much they need. I, I think I've ruined a couple of them. Either that or they just stopped for whatever reason. But they, they just stopped charging. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to worry about too much about the batteries. I care about the, the chargers. Just being able to provide enough power for devices to work reliably. It's a small thing in your life to just spend a few dollars on a good charger yeah. and the whole class of problem goes away. Yeah, yep. you never have to worry about it ever again. You'll forget you even set it up. That's kind All of right, what guys. I want. I'm ordering a whole bunch of anchor chargers right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a good way to make friends. Showing up at an airport power outlet where some guy's hogging it and you can pull out a six-way charger and go, let's be friends. And besides, I'll charge you faster than you can anyway. That's so true. Yeah. He's bonding over the USB ports, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) You are much more social than me at airports. I admire you for this. Like, like that's just an excuse for people to talk to you, which I'm trying to avoid at all costs. Yeah. Well, you know, being enthusiastic about USB generally drives people to stop talking to you fairly quickly. (laughs) Pick pick an odd enough, because I don't actually want to talk to them. I just want to charge my stuff. So right. this is a way for me to get access to the charger to charge my stuff. They can charge their stuff. Like we're all better off. But then that need to communicate, just be weird enough that they're like, they find something else to do. I'm going to try this next time I'm at the airport. Or I will report back. That's going to be in like four, <laughs> four weeks time anyway. So yeah, you'll hear back from me soon. There you go. Awesome. I've also found the line when they're, you know, arguing about something when you say they're first against the wall when the revolution comes, everybody <laughs> stops talking to you after that. <laughs> Like the, usually they're complaining about the airport or United Airlines or, you know, when some airline you're like, those guys are worse. So like, yeah, they're first against the wall and the revolution comes. People will leave you alone after that. <laughs> so is Tesla your platform of choice? Are there others that you use and are there different reasons to use different platforms? Yeah, I use a variety of things. So the Tesla is really good when you want something quite powerful and you're trying to rapidly prototype. Um, but 
when you're doing something like a smart home, for example, you might want to use that to be sort of the central device that all the other devices talk to. And then you just have yeah. one sort of commander device, which you could call like an edge device, for example. And that's what might be communicating back up to the internet. If you want to, you know, keep an eye on your house when you're um, outside of, you know, out and about. But the other devices just have to talk to your Tesla, for example. And so my device of choice when I'm not using a Tesla, but I still need something like Wi-Fi, is something like um, an ESP8266 or an ESP32 device because those breakouts, um, depending on where you get them and how many you buy at a time, you can get one of those usually um, with like voltage regulation, which is really important. And also just yeah. like a U USB serial communication as well, which is really handy. You can get sort of a breakout like that for between five and 10 bucks, depending on your budget, which is really cool. Mm. And I just yeah, bought cool. a bunch of them for my smart home as well. So they're piled up next to all the anchor charges. Nice. So you, do you keep a stack of components around? Just got a workshop full of the bits and bobs that you need? Yeah, I have like a box of shame, I call it, because, um, <laughs> because, you know, the <laughs> drawer of broken dreams. Well, yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the last episode that I was on. I think I had, um, just started working at Kickstarter, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, um, I just started maybe a week before and, since then, like I backed like 130 things when I was working there. And sometimes it was just five bucks, no reward, right? I just wanted to see something happen. But whenever right. it was like an IoT related thing, I'm like, no, I must have this new board. It's good. It must have something that's better than all the others, right? And so I definitely accumulated a couple of dozen of um, those kind of boards. And so now I have this box of shame, but I get really excited when I'm like, oh, wait, I had like the, the Onion Omega 2 and that's got this one little thing on it that would be really convenient for this project so sometimes i can grab from the grab bag and then other times it's just more to um to make me feel guilty <laughs> but yeah. yeah i love having like i have a i live in a um, place that gives me an extra room just to myself to hack um so it's not just on my computer but i also have like an area where i can solder and i also have storage in that closet so i'm really lucky that i've been able to make some space uh where i live to be able to um hack around very cool the mango 2 is a cool little gizmo it uh, is you're talking about a, a compact little it's amazing yeah i think it runs um i think it the first version ran micro python but i think you might be able to run full python on it now which is really really cool wow. but yeah yeah do the operating systems really matter isn't it always comes to come down to the language and the language tends to be javascript although with the occasional python exception yeah it really doesn't matter and these days it doesn't matter a lot the, the language you want to choose either, right? Because sure. you can go from C all the way up to something as highly abstracted and dynamic such as JavaScript. But right. for me, it's more about... For me, I get more excited about security features now built into the device because all of the rest are kind of the same, same. So something such as Azure Sphere, which is designed like with so many layers of, of security, that makes me see boards standing out from others because of that because mm. that's the last thing i really want to worry about i just want to build a cool thing and yeah. having to configure like updates and things like that is such a pain to me and that's something that is a little bit finicky with the esp8266s and i am in the midst of trying to schedule galen to come and talk about azure sphere but before that you better explain it because that's not a little device right there's much more to azure sphere than that yeah yeah and i sort of want to give them a chance to explain it so i can kind of give the high level explanation just because um Please. you know i've i've been able to sort of have a quick look at it just because um because of privileges of working at microsoft but it's essentially an ecosystem so it's not just um security that is on the device level, but it's also security on the cloud level as well. Um, and it's, we're going to be running like an actual Linux based operating system too, which is really, really exciting. Microsoft has their own Linux. It's super exciting. So, um, that just means that we can do things like we can guarantee security patches for, you know, a certain period of time of using the device mm -hmm. and things like that. And so it's not just, writing secure code that you deploy to the device, but it's really about, well, what other features that does the device have built in? And then mm. if I'm speaking to cloud services, what security does that cloud service offer as well? So that, you know, at every level, you know, we're mitigating those risks. 
But I appreciate that this is all integrated in so that the average developer doesn't have to think about it. It's just always there. Yep. Yeah. What, what I want is for people to just be able to write code and not worry that they're going to be the next Mariah attack that's DDoSed, you know, with the webcam <laughs> DDoSing the entire yeah. internet. You know what I mean? That's, right. That yeah. definitely kind of showed people the potential of not locking stuff down properly and it's given people a lot of fear about getting started so you know this is our take on how you avoid that stuff by just not having to have people worry about it as much as they would normally have to sure smart hey richard yeah buddy guess what time it is now i must be that happy time again yeah it's time to switch it up a little bit see what ensues oh geez i'm hinting at something here did you get it (laughs) Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Make the bad man stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, they'll never forget your name now. They will not. And and I think that and is I literally the, the for first. You. I, I was willing to, to bear my bad humor soul out there and take it in the face to get your name out. Yes, there I do. Go. Thanks. Okay, she's not thanking me. Uh, <laughs> it's actually, it's actually touchy. Thanks, Franklin. It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card. Compliments of Progress Telerik to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today. Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik .NET and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Dennis K. Henner. Congratulations, Dennis. Yeah golf clap for you absolutely and dennis just won a 200 dollars amazon gift card from progress telerik just for being a member of the dotnet rocks fan club buy some anchor gear absolutely uh, <laughs> by the way i just ordered six of those things did you well, really that's yeah, awesome I did. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to be a member of the dotnet rocks fan club go to dotnet rocks.com click on the big get free stuff button answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guests, Suze, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? That's really hard because there are so many things that I want to get oh. right now. Um, but I'm going to focus on one and then I might be sneaky and mention a second one. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All the things. The first one that I want is I would love a Glowforge Pro, which is a laser ah. cutter. I'm just adding these to the show notes. These are too cool. Yeah, they're really, really cool. Um, I could really use one in my apartment. Like, you know, usually I have to go to a hackerspace or I have to use an online service like Pinoco to do my laser cutting. And that just means that you're spending extra time and it's just not as convenient as being able to rapidly prototype in your own house. So they just introduced this new um, air filter, which means you don't have to have this dryer laundry hose going out your window, um, you know, and annoying the neighbors with your fumes. And so I'm pretty excited that it seems like it's more apartment ready now. So I definitely want to get one of them for sure. Yeah. And now you're doing subtractive manufacturing, right? I mean, you are taking something and cutting stuff away as opposed to doing it additively with a 3D printer. I presume you have one. Yeah, I have a 3D printer already. um, And just having the laser cutter would mean that it would just go next level where I have access to both, which is really, really awesome. And the laser cutter tends to be a lot faster, um, especially when you just want flat sheets of things. You also just have like slightly better accuracy as well. Yeah. Wow. Cool. The the MSRP on a Glowforge Pro is about $6,000. So you have burned down the... uh Oh, no. Okay. So what I would get is the Glowforge Basic for I think three three thousand something and then I would add uh-huh. the filter which is uh about a thousand just under a thousand dollars. So let's go with that. 
<laughs> there you go. The, two, the, <laughs> the plus with the filter option, I think you nail it at five grand. Okay, yeah. I think I meant to say plus instead of pro. So, yeah, there we go. Okay. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. The pro is, I think, the larger platform. So, you can do more stuff. Yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah. cool. No, it's, it's, it's awesome. And it's neat to see the home scale maker stuff continuing to evolve that, you know, this combination of having your own laser cutter and your own 3D printer, you know, you really are getting all up. Yeah, I love that so much. Hey, Suze, whatever happened to the Raspberry Pi running Windows and us building apps in C Sharp in for IoT? Yeah, do you want to talk about that? Because I'm pretty excited because, yeah. like, I don't write a lot of .NET day-to-day, which is why I'm so excited to be on this show because I realize that I'm being a rebel. <laughs> 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 and so, you know, .NET I had to- does not rock. JavaScript <laughs> rocks. Thank you very much. I got a, a colleague who is very good at .NET to code review, actually, the .NET that I wrote because I, I wrote a smart home device uh, using .NET for um, a video series for Visual Studio Toolbox, which is one of our Channel 9 Microsoft series. Um, yeah. And I'm actually recording the last episode directly after this podcast. So, um, that's really exciting. Yeah. Very so. Cool. So you can essentially load up your SD card into like a Windows box and it will um, transfer a Windows 10 image and it's a special flavor of Windows 10 um, for IoT. It'll put it on the SD card and then you can just boot up your Raspberry Pi and you can write UWP apps for your Raspberry Pi, but it gives you access to all these extra cool classes um, as part of your sort of .NET tool belt, including mm-hmm. things like the GPIO, um, I2C, SPI, things like that. And so anything that you plug into your Raspberry Pi that you would normally use, um, even things like webcams, you know, for media capturing and things like that, um, you can essentially start writing UWP apps, but you can be interacting with things like LEDs and sensors, which is Mm -hmm. really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Is there any um, uh, security benefit to using .NET or a liability for that matter? I think it would just be... What you would regularly do with UWP apps, essentially, just just be aware that if you build if you build it in an insecure manner, people can literally control physical hardware. <laughs> right, so right. that's that's just the extra stuff that you need to think about. But honestly, when you're writing Windows IoT core like UWP apps, it feels so exactly the same to your yeah. regular apps. You know, you're just like controlling things that might catch fire. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember doing a show with uh, Scott Hanselman, one of the Hansel Minutias, and he was raging on about malware and hacks and so forth. And I showed him a hack where it was actually a Word document that was certain firmwares on certain HP inkjet printers would cause the head to stroke so hard over the spot it would actually set fire to the paper. Yeah. Oh, my God. Software can set your printer on fire. And all you did was print a document. Yeah, you can do a lot of stuff to start fires with hardware and that's always my biggest fear is like is someone going to figure out a way to keep the raspberry pi cpu super super hot without it actually like turning off and you know what can they do with that or can they do something with the fan where they're like spinning the fan in a certain way that sends certain audio communications to a different device you know i just really worry about like like weird exploits you know that that brings your fun house to a whole new level (laughs) <laughs> yes it does <laughs> but i think someone's done that i think someone's used like a fan to communicate via audio to like a malicious device that's listening nearby and that just blows my mind that's pretty nutty it's code terrorism <laughs> yeah Yikes. could you get good enough control over fan to make sounds good enough to say issue an alexa command Ooh, i don't what? know because i know that alexa has like the she understands secret high-frequency noises, right? Oh, right. yeah. We heard about that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when they run ads about Alexa, they play special sounds so that she knows not to respond to those advertisements and things like that. And this is mm. another reason why I want to do all of my own IoT because, like, when you know that, like, how do you know your TV is not secretly communicating with Alexa at all times? Right. Right. That's so creepy to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and for for me, coming from the network perspective, I'm more monitoring network traffic so I can see when a device I don't expect to communicate does communications. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's mm-hmm. interesting how we lean on on our existing skills. You know, you're thinking in terms of I can control these devices because you're used to programming them. 
I come with a pretty strong network background where it's like, I unplugged my Samsung TV from the network for a reason. Yes. It kept having conversations I did not expect it to have. And I'm like, I don't yeah. care who you're talking to. You're talking to exactly nobody from now on. Yep. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. much how I feel. And that's also why I like, um, you know, IoT edge computing because you have one device that's speaking to all of the other smaller, less smart devices. And I think that that is an easier way to be able to disconnect the whole thing if you absolutely need to. Right. Yeah. I d- but it is interesting when you start thinking in terms of security built in and Azure Sphere, I think, is a step towards that, is that we are headed down this software-defined networking path where part of your manifest for your application will be exactly what devices communicate with what other devices in what ways so that by default everything's turned off there's no communication between devices you literally provide a manifest of what communication you're allowed which is the opposite of the way networking works these days yeah totally so you have things like you have mac address whitelists instead of like just reactively blacklisting and things like that right which i like it's just that still once you're on that whitelist you can do anything you want yeah that's so true Mm. What port, and now you go to port level, now you go to IP level, but really you want to talk protocols. What are the kinds of messages you're sh- sending? What's the shape of them? What keys are you are you using? I mean, you can get quite specific if we get all the way down there. That's and very coming true. coming in from an app perspective, I think we'll have a lot more control. It should be just part of the manifest when you're coding. It's like, these are the commands I'm going to issue. Mm-hmm. You see other commands? You should ask me. <laughs> I totally agree right. with that. This should be a really easy way to declaratively say what the purpose of the device is and that it's not allowed to be outside of that. I think that's a really good point if that's the correct paraphrase of that. I think a developer knows what the intended use of their so- of their systems are for the most part. You may not know exactly the commands that are being issued, but you know the fact that from a network perspective, we're coming up on that it makes far more sense for it to come down from a programming perspective. That The same way that you build tests around behavior you have a manifest of, of networking. And so many problems go away if only allow me to say the following things in the following way and everything else is wrong. So um, I'm really interested in some of the stories of the, you know, these bad uh, hacks that happened uh, to IoT. And I found a site called uh, at IoT for All and it's a, an article, the five worst IoT hacking vulnerabilities and we'll put a link in the show notes. But um, I'm wondering if there are any stories that stick out to you, Suze. I mean, you're, you're obviously interested in IoT and security, and um, these attacks are, are, are hard, and, uh, but, but they happen. So are there, are there any really, really spectacular things that come to mind? Honestly, the biggest one for me was the one that I mentioned earlier, which was the Mirai uh, malware, which caused any device, you know, with hard baked, you know, um, credentials into it, such as admin and password as the Mm. username and password to be able to start DDoSing things around the world. To me, that's definitely still the biggest one in my mind, just because of the scale of the damage that was done. Yeah. Here's, here's one on the list, the hackable cardiac devices from St. Jude. Oops. And so the news story on CNN was, the FDA confirmed that St. Jude Medical's implantable cardiac devices have vulnerabilities that could allow a hacker to access a device. Once in, they could deplete the battery or administer incorrect pacing or shocks, the FDA said. <laughs> the devices like pacemakers and defibrillators are used to monitor and control patients' heart functions and prevent heart attacks. Not so much if somebody can connect with their iPhone. Yeah, you really don't want medical devices to be hacked. That's bad. No, That's not bad. at all. And actually, this this yeah. site here like reminds me of the second one that I had, which was people are starting to hack uh, the CAN bus protocol in cars and things like that. And then, yeah, sure enough, number five on this is the the Jeep SUV the hack. The famous Jeep hack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although, admittedly, you know, if you actually go read the the Wired wrote a great report on this it took them a year to put that hack together like that yeah. was not now i mean once it's done it's done you know they put it up for the script kitties to run and everybody can do it but they came in through the entertainment system because it wanted spotify and pandora right. access and integrated and were able to control the, the vehicles can bus and you know, once they turned off the brakes you know that's yeah. the moment there's a guy who did that on the on a plane too 
He hacked in through the entertainment center. Well, that, there's more complicated than that. It wasn't actually. He was able to crash some entertainment systems, but he wasn't able to access anything else. Oh, uh, okay. So, fake news. <laughs> well, more, you know, you try and explain this to the average press person. Good yeah. luck. It's complicated. Right. And this, again, comes back to there are certain companies you can trust to get this right. And I'm not saying that I'm actually any better than the companies are doing this. But if I yeah. implement stuff myself, I can think about this, do the research and do the do things to the best of my ability. At least I know, hopefully, where all my vulnerabilities are if I'm setting up a smart house or something, if that makes sense. Right. And so that's also sort of a big motivator for me to learn because if I set this up, then, you know, I'm going to end up learning about security along the way as well. Whereas you just, you put a lot of faith in these companies. Yes. Well, and we, and we do want secure by default behaviors. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting realities. It's just like you you have to figure out the security rules in advance. You can't decide to turn them on later. Yeah. There's a story in Wired about how hackers messed with traffic lights to jam roads and reroute cars. That sounds like Die Hard. 2014. Yeah, yeah. Live free or or die hard. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. You can can actually get totally trapped in in the whole security terror thing and and just like, I don't want to do any of this. Right. We got to be better at it. And I think we yeah. are getting better at it. I don't know how you feel about Suze, but it seems to be getting better. I do. I think I've just sort of been able to do more research, but also I'm just seeing cloud companies, you know, such as Microsoft just get a lot better at this because they realize that that's a huge marketable strategy. You know, if people know and trust your stuff, then that's a huge, you know, win for your platform. Sure. It's also the end of the road if we don't figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's just like no one's going to want to do IoT. We're going to see, we're going to just see this whole thing wind down. And that's a real shame because I think that the, some of the stuff that we do with IoT right now is like super gimmicky. You know, it's kind of like VR. We're seeing like, okay, well, that's a cute thing. But right. what I want is for us to sort of really be still working on it for the time it takes for us to really come across the good things that this can be used for. Totally agree. Yeah, I'm kind of done with the blinking LED. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, have you yep. built have you built like a deployment light though? You know when it goes green when all your tests pass and things like that? Because I feel yes. like that's the developer hello world. You know, it's not sending t- right. um, weather data. It's actually like showing the status of your builds. <laughs> right, right. My original implementation of one of those with was with the Navas tag. Do you remember the Navas tag? That's a long time ago. I don't think I do. No, this is like a fodder directly from the original dot-com boom. It was a little rabbit with movable ears. Oh, that white guy. Bunny, mo- I do remember ears, this. And blinking lights. And it was it was our you broke the build warning. The ears right. went down and it played the sad trombone. Right. <laughs> I love but, that. Yeah. And then this, and then it was one of those early cloud services where then the service provider went away. They didn't finance it properly. And uh, and so it became dead. There's nothing you could do with it because it was hardwired to this cloud service that died. That's the problem. It, you know, I opened the show with a conversation exactly like that about all join. It's like we're experimenting with all these things and stuff goes away. And you've got to kind of be prepared for, you know, they just break down. Yeah, there was like, um, I forget the company now and I feel so bad, but there was a there was a product called the Little Printer. And, hmm. oh, um, Borg Cloud was the company, B-O-R-G. And I had it in my house and I really wanted lots of other people to have a Borg Cloud printer because you could send each other pictures and things. It was essentially a very cute IoT-ified uh, thermal receipt printer. Um, but you could subscribe to these feeds, which were kind of like RSS. And, you know, these feeds every day would give you sort of like the daily joke or the daily news or a daily puzzle. Um, but you could also print photos from your, um, phone, kind of like a Game Boy camera style sort of thing. And I loved that so, so much. And they weren't a successful startup in the end and they shut down. What was nice though, was that they open sourced all of their stuff. And so if you wanted to host it, you could. And I think that's sort of what I'm seeing companies do now. They've sort of almost been open sourced by default because then it is actually a better PR story, even if they do wind down. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is still sad that that happens. I mean, I didn't end up running my own custom server for it, but 
maybe I'll go online after this and check because now I'm sad about this printer again. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting for us as the sort of technorati of this to insist I will not try your thing if you don't have a, a survival plan like that, that you aren't mm. open sourcing. So there is a way forward no matter what happens. That does make sense. And, and we were just talking about the Glowforge earlier. Um, they have a story like that where they want – they have like – this certain version of firmware, which is not necessarily, um, I, f I forget it exactly, but they're controlling the machine in a certain way, which is, um, closed source. And so there was a bit of an uproar about that from people because they're like, well, if your service ever closes down or if we can't access, um, you know, the software to be able to even just cut things out with this $6,000 machine that we bought, then it becomes a $6,000 piece of metal. And so, right. They ended up offering an alternative by saying, well, we're going to still go with um, this software approach, but here is the alternative open source version that you can still run it with if we ever stop operating as a company. And I thought that Smart. was a nice middle ground. Well, yeah. the other side of that, as soon as you create an open source version, is that if your customers start disagreeing with the direction you're, you're taking the code, they can start building their own. And, you know, you may find out that the masses are better than you are. That's right. I mean, you see with 3D printers, all of the different open source firmware uh, um, options out there, there's just been a lot of rapid innovation, um, even just in the space, in the time that I was in the 3D printing space. And me being able to alter, like I altered the firmware of my 3D printer several times in order to add new features to it. And that to me saves me a ton of money. I was literally just bolting on things like, um, you know, bed leveling centers and then just like copy pasting code around to get it to work with my printer. And that to me just means that that planned obsolescence issue does go away as well. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, Suze, what is next for you? What's in your inbox? What are you working on? I'm still working on my smart home, actually. That's that's the thing that I only that's just started on a few days ago. So that's sort of what I'm doing. Um, but I will be traveling and speaking at some conferences really soon, too. So that's going to take up a fair amount of time for me. Are you doing any of your smart home stuff on Twitch? Yes, I will be later this month. Yes, um, because I, I tend to be just working on this on the weekend because it's more of a fun pet project for me. So that is the plan is to maybe not this weekend, but the weekend after I, I'll probably be almost very certainly working on that. Awesome. Very yeah. good. Yeah, I'm excited because like it's all this weird stuff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, we couldn't just go with commercial grade, like get no. a Nest thermostat and and a ring and like, no, no, no. You're going to no. roll it all yourself. Yeah, I That's think it's more fun work. that way. And a lot of people are like, Suze, this is, this is just not efficient. And I'm like, you're missing the point. It's supposed to be fun. And, you know, like, why do people buy puzzles instead of a complete artwork? Because it's yeah. fun to put the puzzle together. And so they don't... There's a saying in the um, POC or GTFO community, which is I'm building my own bird feeder. And it's <laughs> just saying, like, just leave me alone because for me, it's it's the act of building, not the final product. That is the reward that I'm seeking. Love that sentiment. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for talking to us, Suze. It's always great. And uh, hope you come back again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Give me another call in three years time again. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. <laughs> All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got